heard the saying, the proof is in the pudding. Yeah. What in the world does that mean? What I hear it all the time. The proof is in the pudding. So, so I looked it up and it means, it means that you can only judge the quality of something after you have tried, used, or experienced it. So when you hear somebody say the proof is in the pudding. So you want to know that that thing is true, that all the hype about that thing comes true. And you ever, you ever someone just hyped up a restaurant and like, you've got to go here. You've got to go here. And then you go and it's not that great. So the proof was not in the pudding. The proof was not, the food wasn't that great. You may think, but it wasn't um, that great. So don't, here's the thing. If, if you recommend a restaurant to me, don't hype it up. Just say, you need to try it. Just, just try it. Because then I have all these great expectations that it's going to be absolutely wonderful. And it may be wonderful, but my expectations are so high that it's so hard to come down off that hype that you're giving me. So just say, it's okay. Just try it out. You'll like it. Try it. You'll like it. And so we we have this saying, the proof's in the pudding. And and that's really what we've been studying. We've been looking at... uh, the, the book of James, and, and James writes this letter, this epistle, to those that are under pressure, those are, that may be struggling with their faith, those that, that aren't really living out their faith like they should. There's this belief that they have about Christ, but then it's not really seen in the way they're living. And so James, who's the brother of Jesus, he's a leader of the Jerusalem church, just writes this letter uh, to those that are kind of scattered abroad the Roman Empire. And he writes this letter just saying to them, listen, here's 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 what an authentic life in Christ looks like. And so we're going to dive into this really difficult, kind of controversial uh, chapter that James writes about faith. What does, what does authentic, real faith look like? And, and, and is, it, is, it a, is it a faith that is just workspace? Like, this is what I do for God and I feel good about myself because I do these things. Is it a faith where I just put my trust in Christ and that's all that there is? And then James says, listen, there has to be some proof to your faith in Christ. There has to be some evidence that your life has changed if you believe these things that are true about Jesus Christ. So, so James doesn't mince any words. So basically it's this, what you believe will be seen in the way you live your life. That's basically what James is saying. What you believe will be seen in the way that you live your life. So our beliefs will actually dictate our pursuits. So, so what you believe Everybody has a faith. Everybody has faith in something. And, and it's, it's seen in your pursuit. So if you believe money will make you happy and solve all your problems, guess what? You're going to pursue money uh, at all costs. Um, that's what you believe. If you believe that money is going to make you happy, then what are you going to do? That's gonna, going to be your pursuit. So James in his letter says that faith will be evident in the way you live your life. So faith is not in some abstract thing but something that actually can be tangible. So faith is not an abstract thing, but it's actually something that can be tangible. And so this is what James is going to dive into in, in the second chapter of James. And so I, I want you to look at what, how James describes what faith looks like. And so let, let's, let's read together James chapter 2, verses 
14 through 17. And he says this, what good is it, dear brothers and sisters, if you say you have faith and don't show it by your actions? Can that kind of faith save anyone? Suppose you see a brother or sister who has no food or clothing and you say, goodbye, have a good day, stay warm and eat well, but then you don't give that person any food or clothing, what good does that do? So you see, faith by itself isn't enough unless it produces good deeds. It is dead and useless. All right, so what is James saying there? What is James saying? We know that salvation, we know as we read the word of God, we know that salvation comes by faith and grace alone, and it's not by our works. Paul talks about this as he writes his letter to the Ephesians. He says, listen, it's, it's by God's grace. It's, it's, it's through our faith, by God's grace. It's not by our works so that we don't boast about it. And so it's all done through the work of Jesus Christ, putting our trust in him. But then James says here, but wait a minute. If, if, if there's nothing that you're doing, if, if, if there's nothing that, that you're, if you say you have a faith, but then you're not living it out in your life, that there's something wrong. There's a disconnect there. So is James saying that salvation comes by works? Is it through good works that I made right before God? James isn't saying that. What James is saying is this. The proof is in the pudding. That's what James is saying. The proof of what you believe is going to be seen in the way your life is transformed. And so there should be good fruit that is coming forth from our lives that, that is consistent with what we believe about Jesus Christ. So that, that doesn't mean that we will never make a mistake. How many of you make mistakes in your life or you made bad decisions? Okay, so we've, we've, we're all in favor. We all, made, we all make mistakes, right? And, you know, so we all grow. There's a growth process in, in, our, in our walk with the Lord. But James is telling us that if you don't care about people, if I'm not showing love, if, if there's no feet to my faith in God, then am I really following God? There has to be some evidence there. And Paul talks about this in Galatians chapter 5 where he says, but the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives, this joy, this love, the peace, the patience, the kindness, the goodness, the faithfulness, the gentleness, self-control. There is no law against these things. So what James is calling for is this authentic faith, one that is not just works and rule-based and the opposite of one that just believes and says, well, it doesn't matter how you live your life. And James says, well, it does matter how you live your life. And I believe maybe some of the problems that we have today might have to do with this easy believism. Is I believe in God, but I'm not truly living it out in my life. And so I think what James is stressing to some of these believers that he's writing to, he's saying, listen, you say you believe in Jesus, but you're not living it out in your life. You say that there's a God. And so he's not, he's not speaking to people who don't believe in Jesus and what Jesus did for them on the cross. The problem is they just weren't living it out. And, and James is saying, is that, is that real faith? Does your faith have any substance if you're really not living it out in your life? Has there really been a transformation in your heart if you're not living it out in your life. And, and this is where we need to be careful because I can get this religious spirit where I can just say, you know, I go to church, you know, and I've done these things, 
right? But I'm not really living it out the rest of the week. I kind of go to church and do my church thing, right? But then I, I, and some of you may remember this, you just go to church just to clear your guilty conscience, right? And, you know, you, you do your thing during the rest of the week. And then you go to church, kind of clear clear your guilty conscience. Then you go do your thing again, right? The rest of the week. And there's this perpetual cycle that that you're in. But there wasn't really a transformation within your heart. I remember, listen, I grew up going to church. I went to Sunday school. We used to hide the Bibles on our Sunday school teacher. That's how mean I was. We used to just, and then we'd spend half the class trying to, the poor guy, I felt so bad. Let's repent. I got to repent of it. Lord, forgive me of my Sunday school teacher. And we hit the Bibles on him. Listen, my parents brought me up going to church and going to Sunday school, but my, my heart wasn't transformed. It just was a religious thing I did because I thought that's what we had to do. But there wasn't a change in my heart until later on in my life. And I realized that, wait a minute, this is real. And what Jesus did for me, he wants me to receive it personally in my life. And there has to be a change in my life. And this is what James is talking about. It's a wake up call to look at our lives and making sure that we're living out what we profess and believe. So let's, let's be clear in what James is talking about in these verses. James is emphasizing the fruit of Christianity. If Christ has changed your heart, then it should be seen in the way we actually live it out in our lives. So James is not saying that our works can save us or get us closer to God. There is nothing in me that can appease the holiness of God. That's why Jesus had to come. We've all fallen short of God's perfection, of God's perfect standard. That's why Jesus came. He became our substitute on the cross. And that's why putting our faith in him and our trust in Christ and asking for God's forgiveness in my life, that is what transforms my life. That is what saving faith is all about. But James says, let's take that saving faith and let's make sure there's substance to it by the way it transforms the way we live our life. And so that's why Jesus came. He came for sinners and to make a way for us. So here's the foundation of Christianity. The foundation of Christianity is God's undeserving grace and faith to trust Christ for our forgiveness. That is the foundation of Christianity. There's this grace that God gives us that none of us earn or deserve, and it's us by putting our faith in Christ Jesus and asking for forgiveness and repenting and changing the way we used to think. That's what saves you. And what God does is he actually imparts the righteousness of Christ into our lives now. I don't earn it. I don't deserve it. And yet God gives this to us by his grace. It's a gift that he gives us. Amen. And so what James is saying is if this has happened to your life, then it should transform the way you're living. And, and I'm not saying that we, that we'll never make mistakes or that we live a perfect life because we'll all make mistakes. But what he, what he is saying is that it should transform the way you live. I like what Dallas Willard, he says something really good here, dealing with the tension of works and faith. He said, grace is not opposed to effort. It's opposed to earning. So grace is not opposed to effort. It's opposed to earning, which what Dallas Willard means there is this, is that I can't earn my salvation through my works. 
if, if that were the case, I would be pretty nervous standing before God on the day that I pass away. Because I would be nervous, did, did my good works outweigh my bad works? Did I do enough good works to make it in heaven? Can you imagine having that tension in your life, thinking, did I do enough? Did I do enough? Right? That's a horrible feeling. And so that's not what it is. Grace is something free that God gives. It's not based on our works. But here's, here's what it is. Here's what we need to understand. As I'm walking with my walk with Christ, if I'm not growing if, if I'm not allowing God to change my heart, if there's not love and forgiveness in my heart, then there's a disconnect. Something is wrong with my faith in Christ. And so we can't earn God's grace. It's given to us entirely free. So we should strive to please God in our lives with this gratitude for the grace that has been freely given to us. And so we should strive to please God in our lives because it's this gratitude. I understand that God's grace was given to me freely without any strings attached. I don't earn it. I don't deserve it. And so through that, I'm like, God, I want to serve you now. I I want you to change my life now. Not because, you know, I have this pressure to do this or there's this performance that I have to perform for you, God, in order to earn your love and your acceptance. You already accept me. Isn't that wonderful to know that even when I mess up, God still loves me? He still accepts me. He doesn't cast me away. That he actually wants me to come to him and draw close to him and confess those things to God so that we can draw close to him and we can find forgiveness and grace that we need in our time of need. And so that's where it comes to. That gratitude is so important. Because what, what James says is if, if, if we understand the great salvation that was given to us, it's going to be seen in the way we live our lives. There's going to be some substance to our faith. Martin Luther says it this way about this tension of works and faith and the saving faith. He says, faith is a living, restless thing. It cannot be inoperative. An, an, an we are not saved by works, but if there be no works, there must be something amiss with our faith. So what Martin Luther's saying is there should be things that are consistent that are consistent in our lives that are keeping in step with the faith that we have in Christ Jesus. So James is saying that our faith must have substance, it must be alive, it must be active. So James says our faith should not be dead. And if we are not living out our faith, James says it's actually a dead faith or a useless faith. And so the word dead there carries the meaning of just being idle, just not doing anything. It would be the same as you investing your money and getting zero return for it. It'd be like getting a certificate of deposit and just saying, okay, I'm going to get this certificate of deposit, but it has zero return. It just it's, does nothing. You're not going to gain any interest off it. Um, and so you would want to invest your money, right? That's going to gain some return. Amen. That's why we invest our money because we want to return from it, but it would be like just putting your money there and it just being idle, doing nothing, collecting no interest. And so James says, your faith should not be idle, collecting no interest. It should be doing something. It should be productive. And so what is the substance of real faith? 
here's the sub. I'm going to give you a couple things here this morning of just what is the substance of real faith? And this is what we can extract out of uh, James's verses, the, 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 the words that James uses here in chapter two. Let me give you a couple things here. First of all, let, let's look at what real faith is. Real faith is more than just words. So in verse 14, James says, what good is it if you say you have faith, yet not show it by your deeds? So, so let's be honest with ourselves. At times, we say things we believe, yet we don't follow up with it with our actions. Okay, I'm just checking there, just seeing if you guys are listening. Okay, there are times we say we believe something, and then we don't do it, right? Do as I say, not as I do, right? I hope you've never said that to your children because that's going to come back to bite you later, right? So it's, it's, you know, our children's, you know, if you've raised kids, they see you do things that are sometimes are inconsistent. And then we say, well, don't do that. And they say, well, you, you did that, right? Or you, or, or you said that four letter word, right? And so they catch us sometimes, don't they? Uh huh, right? So here, we do think sometimes we say we know that's wrong or we shouldn't be doing that, but we end up doing it. And, and we would, listen, wouldn't we all agree that eating well is a good thing? Could we all agree that eating well is a good thing? Okay, so let me make my point clear. We all agree eating well is an important thing, but, but yet when we go to a carnival or an amusement park or a fair, right, are we buying salads? What are we buying? We're buying this right here. We're buying deep fried Oreos. That's what we're buying. That's what we're getting. Right? We're not getting the salads. Right? I don't think there's a salad place within a hundred miles at an amusement park. I don't think they're there. But we're getting this. We know we shouldn't be eating the deep fried Oreos. And by the way, one deep fried Oreo is 1,500 calories. No, I don't know. I don't know. I'm just teasing. I don't know. But it's got to be close, all right? So we, we do that. We get the elephant ears. We get all the, the candy apples. We get all the things that we know we should. We know I should not be eating that deep-fried Oreo. It's unhealthy. But we do it anyways, right? So, so here, <laughs> this, is what James is, I, this is what James is saying. He's saying, listen, we know, but then we don't, we don't do it. I remember years ago, maybe you guys remember this. It was uh, 1991, and um, McDonald's uh, had this campaign. Um, and what they did is they uh, surveyed uh, just their customers. And they said, what, what are some things that you would like us to do? And, and one of the responses was to have a healthier hamburger, have a healthier hamburger. It's like saying have a healthier deep-fried Oreo. Could there be a healthier one? that we could deep fry and still be healthy. There's no way you're going to get around that one. But so they said, okay. So McDonald's came up with the McLean Deluxe hamburger that was 90% lean. Now, I rem- I actually um, remember this. Some of you don't even remember this. For this reason, it was just a colossal failure. And so the, I remember getting it, and it was so dry because it was 90% lean. You couldn't even taste the I mean, it just was, it was not five guys by any means of the imagination. It was just dry with lettuce on it, right? So, so it actually got the name McFlopper, uh, cause it just didn't work. And, uh, and so it just, it didn't work. People just didn't like it. Um, the top most unhealthiest foods are bacon and soda. 
my life just ended. Bacon, I mean, just, I cannot take bacon out of my life. But anyways, because you can put bacon on anything. Actually, you know what's really good? Deep fried Oreos wrapped in bacon. <laughs> I'm so hungry right now. My stomach is growling. Listen, my stomach growling right now. Okay, so here's the thing. How many? We can laugh about food. We 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 can we can laugh about about food. But here's what James is saying. When it comes to our faith, James is telling us that we just listen. We need to take careful consideration of how we're living our lives. And you may even have said, you know, maybe we've said this to ourselves to make us feel better, you know, about our spirituality. We may say, say things like, well, I've been baptized or I said a prayer a long time ago and, and I'm good. I'm, 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 I'm all right. And, and the question we need to be asking ourselves is actually this, is my faith in Christ, is really my faith in Christ and what I believe about Jesus, is it evident in the way I live my life? Is, is, is it evident? And you know, once again, I'm not asking if your life is perfect or if you never made any mistakes or, or make mistakes. But Jesus is saying to his listeners, listen, if your actions are your actions reflecting what you believe. So we know it's, it's more than than just words we say. It has to be more than that. And so the, the, the second thing I want you to see, real faith is more than just emotions. Right? It's more than just emotions. How many of you are like me that you don't always feel like doing things? There are certain things that we have to do in our lives that sometimes we just don't feel like doing it. But if we wait for our emotions and our feelings to tell us what to do, we might not do anything. So, listen, I don't feel like paying my bills. How many feel like paying your bills? That's fun, right? But how many know it's something we have to do? Because if you don't do it, your lights are going to be shut off or or whatever. We we don't feel like... we, we We don't sit there and say... Let me pray about whether I'm going to pay my bills. Lord, what are you telling me here? Should I pay my bills or should I not pay my bills? Of course, we have to pay our, our bills. It's not based on feelings or emotions. We just, we just do it. So if you don't pay uh, your, your, your bills, you're, you're going to be in, in big trouble. And so we, we don't pray about whether or not we should pay our bills. You know, it, it's hard. I mean, if, if you, if you're, if you're, trying to get healthier and you're, you're trying to lose weight or whatever, and you're on a workout regimen, how many of you just, it's like, man, I just, I don't feel like doing it. I mean, I've got my choice. I can get up early and work out or I've got this deep fried Oreo over here. What should I do? What, how are my feelings leading me? Right? So it's, it's, it's hard. You, you have to get beyond what we feel. Cause if, 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 if we're basing our, our faith on our feelings and what we, you know, feel at the time, how many know that nine times out of 10, we're not going to do anything. So it's more than just a feeling and, 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 and words. Um, James tells us that if you see someone in need, you help them. You know, we can tend to get all spiritual and should I, or shouldn't I, but James says, listen, if a person needs a coat, and we see them without a coat, we should help them get a coat. Now, we have to use wisdom and not just give someone money because you just give them money, they may use it for something that's not good, that can enable them further in whatever addiction, if, if they have one, 
that they might have. We don't want to do that. But if someone's cold or needs food, we, we want to feed them. We, James says it's not something that you pray about. It, it's something that you just do. You, your faith is an action. Your faith should tell you, yeah, we should help those that are in need. And so he's saying it's more than, than just, you know, than, than just, just these words or just these feelings. But James goes even so far as to say, faith is more than just believing also. It's more, so it's more than words, it's more than emotions, and it's more than just believing. How many, how many remember the lyrics um, to this song? Oh, we got it for you. How you remember this one? Okay, I remember that song. I remember that song originally. Okay, so what's the lyrics to that song? Don't stop believing. Hold on to what? Feelings. Feelings, nothing more than feelings. I love singing that song. Here's the thing. What James is saying, it's more than just believing. We put so much stock in what I feel. And then he says, but it's more than just believing. Verse 19, James says this. Verse 19 and 20 of chapter 2. He says, you say you have faith. For you believe that there is one God. He said, good for you. Basically, goody, goody for you. That's, that's, the, that's the sentiment behind that. He says, but listen, even the demons believe this and they tremble in terror. How foolish. Can't you see that faith without good deeds is useless? So what he's saying, listen, even demons believe in God and they shudder. So he goes, it's more than just this belief. There's got to be some substance under your belief that's showing by a changed life and what we do with that faith. So James says, listen, you have faith and believe that there is one God. Great. That's the foundation of our, our belief. Father, Son, Holy Spirit are one. One God, three persons. But James says, you believe this, you know, good for you. However, even the demons believe this and shudder. He goes, let me, uh, let me show you by what I believe, by, by what I do, by how I live this out. And so let me work this out, out for us and get the meaning of what James is saying here. Listen, I, I believe in the New England Patriots. I do. I believe in the New England Patriots, but I'm not a follower or a fan of the New England Patriots for beating up on my bills for the last 20 years and last week, right? Listen, there's, there's this difference of just believing in something. But what James is saying, there's a belief that's shown through how we follow and then how we live it out in our lives. It's more than just believing and having these feelings. James says, is there substance to what you believe? And so what James is stressing is real faith coincides with real evidence. There should be a real evidence to what you believe in your life. It's more than just an intellectual belief. If there's a lack of evidence in your life, James says there's something wrong. Is there a lack of evidence in our lives that support our beliefs? If, if you, you know, I, I like to ask this question. If you were convicted of being a Christian, you went to court, would there be enough evidence to convict you? Chew on that one for a little bit, right? 
there be enough evidence to convict you in a court of law for being a Christian. That's, that's, what, that's what James is saying. There has to be something that's deeper with our faith. So James is saying real faith is more than words, emotions, beliefs. It's not what you say, it's what you do. It's really lived out in what you do. So authentic, saving faith that puts our trust in Jesus will transform the way we live. And what it does is it recognizes our sin. It repents. We have a change of mind. And then it's shown in the way we live. Now, here's what I want. Here's how I want to finish today. And then we'll take communion together as, as a family. I love that James uses two examples at the end of chapter two. He uses two Old Testament figures who are completely the polar opposite to make his point clear to his readers. He wants to show them. I want to show you two people who actually had a faith and a belief in God, but lived it out through their obedience. And what, what James does is at the end of chapter two, he talks about Abraham, who was the father of the Jewish faith. And what Abraham does is he gets this calling from God and he leaves everything. He leaves where he lives, his home, to listen to the call of God and the promise of God to make a great nation from him. And so he uses Abraham as this figure of saying, listen, Abraham believed God. He trusted God. And then he acted on his belief in God to where he left everything to be obedient to the call of God. And God used his life to create this wonderful nation that God said he would create from him through his obedience. And then James uses this other person, Rahab, which is interesting because if you know anything about Rahab, Rahab was a prostitute who wasn't an Israelite, who was actually considered an enemy of the Israelites. She put her trust in the God of Israel. And what she did is she hid the spies of Israel who came to scope out the enemy's territory when they were in the wilderness and they were getting ready to take over the promised land. And so they were scoping out the territory and Rahab hid these spies from being killed. And she put her trust in God by being obedient to the Lord. And what's interesting about Rahab is she heard the stories of Israel's God and she believed. She put her faith in action by risking her life, by hiding the men who came to spy out the land. And God didn't forget her when Israel conquered Jericho and she was saved. And so James' point here with using Abraham and Rahab is this. Abraham left everything, but his faith was seen through his obedience. Rahab trusted the God of Israel, but her faith, the substance of her faith was seen and how she risked her life by saving the spies. And then God saved her when Israel came and attacked Jericho. He's saying there was substance to their belief. And, and, and that is what they were commended for. There was this faith that was in action. Their faith was alive. It wasn't just a bunch of words or feelings or just saying, well, I believe in that. It was seen in the way they actually lived out their life. And so that's my encouragement to us here this morning 
Listen, we're all going to make mistakes. We're going to do things that are unbecoming at times. They're going to be things that we're going to struggle with at times. But really, are we really living what we believe? Are we doing the things that God has called us to do? And that's, that's where true, authentic faith comes in, James says, that we're actually doing what God has called us to do. Is there a difference in our lives by the way we live our lives? Do we stand out? And I'm not talking about goofy stand out or weird stand out, but just by our actions, do we stand out? There was something that happened this week that just took the news by storm. And it's not the thing that you're thinking that I'm going to talk about because I'm not going to talk about that. There is a woman who was convicted of murder this, uh, this past week. I don't know if you guys saw the story. The brother, right, of the one that was murdered. Some of you may have seen this. You need to catch this on YouTube. There's a point to where after the trial, they're able to say things. And this 18-year-old boy, young man, forgave the woman who shot his brother and in front of that whole court asked the judge if he could hug her. And it went all over the people just like, how could someone, can we just say that's faith in action? Can we say that it took everybody by surprise because that's not what you're supposed to do. You're not supposed to forgive. But yet this young man in front of the whole nation showed what the grace of God was all about. Show that this is, this is what makes us different. This is faith in action. It says something that I don't want to do, and I know that, that my heart doesn't want to do this. But I know if Christ forgave me, then we need to forgive others. Now, that doesn't let her off the hook for whatever the, the things are, but for this young man who's a follower of Jesus Christ, he knew this is what he was supposed to do. And as I was watching that, I was watching it with my wife, Kathleen. As I was watching it, as I saw it play out, because we all have our opinions, right? And, and we can get mad at what's going on in our world today. And we want justice here. And we, we take sides and we get mad and we get angry. And when I saw that action, it basically hushed everything else that was going on in the news. God says, oh, yeah? Let me show you. Let me show you. And I think it taught our nation a lesson on the love of God and what's most important. And as I sat there and watched it, I, I was just reminded that I didn't deserve God's grace either. That my sins were so great, yet God demonstrated his love towards Barden that he still sent his son to die for me. And I didn't deserve it either. That's what Jesus did for you and I. Jesus doesn't talk about um, forgiveness. He showed forgiveness by giving his very life for you and I. And so when we come to the table this morning, I want to just remind you today of the cost that Jesus went through to pay the penalty of our sin. And none of us, we... We all sit in the courtroom of God's judgment 
and we're all guilty. But yet God says, I'm going to send you my son to pay the penalty for your sin and your shortcomings. We have a lot to be thankful for. That's the faith that we put in Christ Jesus. That's the faith that transforms us. That's the faith that can sit in a courtroom and forgive someone who maybe doesn't deserve to be forgiven in the eyes of the world. But in the eyes of God, God forgives us because his son paid the penalty for our sin. And so as we come to the Lord's table today, let's, let's just take some time just to reflect and just say, God, is, is my faith, does it have substance? Am I, am I, are there things that I'm doing that just, that you're calling me to do, but I'm not doing them because I'm waiting to have this feeling? And God says, if there's true substance to your faith, then it's going to be seen in the way you live your life. So would you pray with me and as the ushers prepare themselves to come and serve us communion today, I want us to reflect on what Jesus Christ did for us. Amen. So let's pray. Let's ask God's help today. Father God, I just want to thank you for today. I want to thank you for your love. I want to thank you for your goodness. We thank you for Jesus and what he did and what he provided for us. None of us in this place deserve what you gave us through your son, Jesus, dear father. But Lord, I just pray as we take this time just to reflect and just to uh, ponder what Jesus did for us. I pray, Lord, that we would just examine our hearts and just see if there are things that God is just not consistent with what we believe that, Lord, you would speak to our hearts that we would offer forgiveness, that, God, we would allow your love to lead us and it would be seen by our actions. So, Lord, help us to be consistent with what we believe, and we thank you for the precious blood of Christ and what he did for us. So as we take communion today, we're thankful for what Jesus did for us. So just forgive us today, cleanse us anew and afresh today, and let us never forget the price that Jesus paid for us and none of us in this place deserved it. So we are grateful for your grace and your mercy today. And we fall on that today in Jesus' precious name, in Jesus' precious name. Amen.